morning. Great to see everybody here this morning. Those of you here in person in the building, those of you joining us online, good morning and welcome. Thank you, Palmer, uh, for uh, coming up there. That was awesome. Palmer is uh, currently serving in Connect Kids, but will very soon be preaching uh, on a regular basis from the stage. Very talented young man there. And um, the reason we had Palmer come speak this morning, and in the last couple of weeks, we've had some folks from Connect Kids come up and be a part of our service, is that uh, those of you watching online this morning. There is an option to go to our Connect Kids tab, and uh, we have some online content just for you. So either now you can send your kids off to check that out, or after the service, they can go and there'll be some um, great teachings and great videos just specifically for your kids. But for those of us who are gathered in person this morning, uh, we don't have the option of having Connect Kids open right now. So for those of you kids who are in here this morning, uh, we wanted you to see some familiar faces. So uh, Palmer normally is up on the stage speaking to the uh, K through 5 group in Connect Kids. So we wanted you guys to see him. Uh, and for those of you who are kids here this morning, I know you've now got to sit through the rest of the service and hear me speaking. But the good news is I'll let you know that um, I have to kind of speak uh, at a way you'll understand so that your mums and dads can understand what I'm talking about. Okay, so hopefully you'll be able to track with me this morning and uh, enjoy what I'm speaking about. But some pretty good news, and that is that two weeks from today, so not next Sunday, but the following Sunday, we are working towards opening Connect Kids back up on a Sunday morning. So if you're watching online this morning and one of the reasons you've made a decision not to come back right now is because there isn't a program for the kids, uh, two weeks from today that will open. So we're, uh, we're going to move into this slowly and carefully. So what we're going to do is only first service for starters will have kids as an option. So if this is the service you come to and you come with your kids, there will be uh, Connect Kids for them. That'll be preschool and K through five. It's going to look a little bit different because obviously we're going to try and make sure that uh, we put some safe uh, stuff in place there, some social distancing. So you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks. But two weeks from today, uh, Connect Kids will be meeting again. So we're pretty excited about that. Now, talking about kids, uh, I've got to tell you, I think one of my favorite things that's come out of this whole COVID situation started way back in March. Um, as I look back, I think probably one of the highlights for me of all this craziness that's gone on is that um, during this time, all of my family have been together in the house under one roof. In fact, for that first month, we were literally together. We went nowhere. My oldest son is a freshman in college. He was a freshman last year. He'll be a sophomore this year. So he was home from college. My other two kids were home from school. So I think one of the best things to come out of this was that all the family were together under one roof. I think one of the worst things, one of the biggest struggles we've faced over the last few months um, is that all of my family were together under one roof. <laughs> It was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. They, it was brilliant having everyone together, and it was just so good, some great family memories, game nights, movie nights. But having everyone together, having all the kids together, there were some, some struggles. There were some fights. There was some quarreling. Now, I know for you out here, and that doesn't happen with you and your kids. You've all got fantastic kids. Your kids are like the Von Trapp family. They all love each other. They sing songs as they climb the stairs each night to go to bed. Uh, but in our house, there was some, some quarreling. And this morning, we've been talking about uh, a guy by the name of James who wrote a letter in the New Testament. And he addresses this very issue of, of quarrels and fights. 
So we're going to find out this morning what he had to say to uh, the very first church, the, the followers of Jesus who are scattered across the Roman Empire. And I think we're going to find out this morning as well that what he had to say to them back then can be just as relevant to us today. So let's take a look. We're in this series called Build the Church, Build. And, and the idea is that James, this New Testament writer, gave us some very practical teaching on what it looks like for us as followers of Jesus to build his church in this community, in this country, in the world. And he gives some real practical tips on how we should live as followers of Jesus. So listen to what he says in James chapter 4, verse 1. He says, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you. That's how he starts out this, this paragraph that he's writing. So I love James because when I read James, it's almost like um, listening to one half of a phone conversation. Have you ever been in that situation where maybe your husband or your wife's on the phone with someone and you have no idea what the person on the other end is saying, but based on the way your spouse is talking and things they're saying, you can kind of get a pretty good idea pretty quickly of what's going on. Well, we have this with James. We don't know specifically why he wrote this, this sentence, what is causing quarrels and fights among you. But the fact that he wrote it means he obviously felt a need to address something. Word had got back to James that these, these Christians, these followers of Jesus scattered across the Roman Empire, that there was problems. There was some, some quarrels, some fighting, some disunity. So he addresses that in this portion that we're going to look at this morning. And I'm glad he does, because this is a big problem. It was a problem back then in the church. It's a problem in any situation when you have a group of people and there's disunity or discourse amongst them. In 1998, the United States was, was excited because their soccer team was going to France to play in the World Cup. Now, I know all of you are huge soccer fans here this morning, so you remember it very well. Um, <laughs> It was a big deal because four years earlier, the United States had hosted the World Cup. So soccer-playing countries from around the world came and played all across the United States. And being the host nation, the United States got to play, and no one really expected too much out of them. But actually, they performed really well. They kind of became a, a serious competitor on the world stage of soccer. Following that, over the next four years, their team got better and better. There was this momentum as people were getting more and more excited about American soccer. Between the 94 and 98 World Cup, uh, U.S. got to play countries like Argentina and Brazil and beat them. These are like major soccer-playing countries, and the United States was beating them. So going into the 98 World Cup in France, everyone was excited because they're like, what, what are they going to do? In the 1994 World Cup, there were six players on the squad who actually played professionally for clubs around the world. Six, that was it. In 1998, 22 players on the squad played professionally for clubs around the world. I mean, everything was lining up for this being the moment when soccer would suddenly become the great sport that it actually is everywhere else in the world, here in the United States. So off they went to France. Their first game was against Germany, and they were beaten. But um, Germany was one of the best teams in the world at the time. So that was kind of expected, and uh, no one was too disappointed because they were a tough team. All they had to do was win their other two games, and they would still go through to the next round. Two teams would go through, so they just assumed that America would win the next two, and they go through. 
because the next team they played was Iran. Now, you may be surprised to hear this, but Iran isn't known as a world-class soccer country, okay? Not very, haven't produced many famous soccer players over the year. In fact, have never won a game at the World Cup until 1998, when they won their first game against the United States. It was a tragedy. They then played Yugoslavia. <laughs> yeah, I know, another great soccer day. And they lost to Yugoslavia. They crashed out of the 1998 World Cup, having lost all three of their games. People were asking, how did this happen? We were so good going in. Everything was working. We had all these amazing players. I listened to this podcast a while back. It was called American Fiasco, and it was a podcast all about that World Cup experience. And it explains that the team itself was just rife with disunity, struggles. There were some great players on this team, but there was a lot of arguing, infighting, quarreling, and fighting going on. And it's credited as being what caused the demise of the American team at that time. Kenny Sampson, the coach, he unexplainedly just cut a guy called John Harkes from the team. At the time, John Harkes was one of the very best players they had. So going into this tournament, they lose one of their best players. No one knows why. Twelve years later, the truth finally came out that the reason he'd cut this player from the team was because he discovered that this particular player had been sleeping with another player's wife, another player on the team. And he didn't want to take this team into this tournament knowing that there was this disunity, this potential for for chaos. The team was just full of disunity, full of problems. Instead of uniting as a team against other soccer-playing countries, they divided against one another. Now, I'm guessing all of you this morning could give me an example from one of your favorite sports of a similar story of great athletes and great teams that came together and just lost it because of disunity. But we're talking about a one-foot gold statue here. James is writing to the church. James is addressing this issue because this is a huge problem in the church. It's not a trophy that's at stake here. It's the souls of people. Jesus had put all of his um, energy and hope into the church, knowing that they were the ones that would reach people for him. And now they're dealing with this disunity and this infighting. Jesus was very clear about why this was important. In John 13, verses 34 through 35, it says, On the night before he was crucified, the Lord Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. Because by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. People should see our love for Jesus. People should see Jesus modeled in our love for one another. And yet James is having to address an issue because this wasn't being seen amongst these original Christians. A team that should have been playing together against a common enemy, but instead seemed to be fighting the enemy within. This was that first church. So he goes on to explain in more detail what he means. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't know what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. 
You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate and that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. He gives grace generally, as the scriptures say. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There is such a lot packed into those verses. I wish we had more time this morning to kind of look in more detail at them. But basically, to sum it all up, James is saying this, there's problems in your, your sinful hearts that's causing this disunity. And I wish that 2,000 years ago, the church had figured this out and it's not a problem anymore. But, but still today, we see this, don't we? We see that there are followers of Jesus still today. And, and maybe today, more than ever before, there seems to be such division going on in the world at large, but even within the church. We live in a crazy time right now with all that's going on and, and so much potential for division. Who we should vote for as a Christian and why. Whether we should wear masks or whether we shouldn't. What's better, dogs or cats? All these major divisive topics. I've got to tell you, a year ago, cats would have won every time for me and then we got a dog and he's winning me over. But the sad thing is we, we can watch and we can look around and we can see our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ arguing and fighting over these things. And as followers of Jesus, I think we're expending so much time and energy debating these issues with other followers of Jesus instead of saying, hey, we may just need to agree to disagree on this and come together and agree on the fact that there are people in our community who don't have a relationship with Jesus who are hurting, who are broken, and who desperately need to hear from us, desperately need to see the church being built in their community. So let's work together to tackle the biggest problem here. Not some of these small problems that we're arguing with. The biggest problem, and that is that lost people matter to Jesus, and we are the hope in reaching them. It would be so easy to kind of go through that, that whole passage and pick it apart. But I want to jump to the next thing James writes because James gives these followers of Jesus the solution. I love the way he does this. Verses one through six, he kind of really identifies what the problem is. And then in verses seven through 10, he identifies the solution. I think we can learn this morning from the solution that James gives them. Listen to what he says in verses seven through 10. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. James is saying, this is really serious. If you're fighting amongst yourselves, we've got to have a change of heart here. And I think as I look at those three or four verses there, I can kind of see just, just two main things that James challenges them on that maybe this morning will help us to learn ourselves as followers of Jesus. He challenges them on their posture and on their position. On their posture and their position. Let me explain what I mean by those two words. So, so posture, okay, you can tell a lot about a person, can't you, by their posture. If you meet someone and their, their shoulders are kind of slumped and their head's hung down, you know that probably they've had a tough week, something sad's going on, something difficult's going on in their life. Just their posture kind of gives it away, doesn't it? 
Alternatively, you could meet someone whose chin is held high, their chest's pumped out, you know, and you, you see, you can tell from their posture, this is somebody who is confident, maybe they've just had some really good news, and, and posture can tell you a lot about a person, can't it? James is saying that the posture of every follower of Jesus should be a posture of Humility. He addresses it right there. He even quotes from the Old Testament in Proverbs. He talks about God opposing the proud and giving grace to the humble. And then in verses 7 through 10, he reminds us to humble ourselves. And that's difficult, isn't it? It goes against some of our natures to to, to have a posture of humility. But that's what James is encouraging these followers of Jesus to have. Rather than address the problem specifically, he, he presents the solution of saying, hey, if you live with a posture of humility... It changes a lot of things. And then the position. Their position. Do you ever wish you could be closer to God? Do you ever look around at some friends and think, man, they just seem like they're so close to God. I wish I could be close to God like that. How how can I experience God in my life? How can I get closer to Him? Well, James gives us the key, doesn't he? He says we have to adjust our position. Adjust in our position. He says, come close to God and He will come close to you. So he talks about humility, our posture, but then he says, come close to God. Some translations say, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I love how it starts with us because God wants to be close to every one of you this morning. He loves you so much. Whether you are following him right now, whether you've not yet made a decision to follow Jesus, he still wants to be close to you. But it starts with us taking that first step. We take a step towards Jesus. We, we adjust our position. We say, I want to draw closer to you. And as we draw close to him, he draws close to us. So it's looking at our posture and having a posture of humility and our position of, of drawing closer to God. And as I was working on this message this week, I was thinking about it. I was, I was thinking, why do we find it so hard sometimes to have the correct posture and the correct position? Why do we find it so hard to have a posture of humility? Why do we find it so hard to want to draw close to God and and lean into Him more? And I thought about our lives and just how blessed we are. We live in a wonderful community. Many of us are very smart, educated people. We've got nice houses, good jobs. Things are going well in our lives. It can be very easy to kind of become quite independent, can't it? To say we need humility and to draw close to God, well, that's a great thing, but, but they kind of go against our nature a little bit because we don't feel like we need to because we've got it all figured out. I've been very fortunate in my years pastoring Connect. I've got to do a lot of different things, and one of those things is working with an organization called Compassion. Compassion International works with kids around the world, and uh, we've got to travel to Ecuador a few times um, as a group from the church, and myself, my family. And we've got to meet people who live a very different lifestyle than you or I, living in extreme poverty. And I meet some of these families, and you expect them to be sad and despondent because of how little they've got, but they have this wonderful just appreciation of everything. Those of them who are followers of Jesus just have this beautiful faith. And I see a lot of humility and I see a lot of dependence on God from these people. 
And rather than pity them for the situation that they find themselves in, I actually find myself envying them, thinking, I wish my relationship with God were more like yours. I want to tell you a cool story here real quick this morning because you all play a part in this story. If you've ever given online, if you've ever given here on a Sunday morning, you play a part in this story. Earlier this week, we had an event here at Connect and it was the culmination of a lot of different events that led to this final event. So I'll tell you the story real quick. Back at the beginning of last year, we knew we were moving into this new building. We had this desire that as well as moving into our permanent location here in Washington, we wanted to help build a church and children's community center in Ecuador with compassion. It was going to cost $87,000 to do that. And I was thinking at the beginning of the year, we need to do this. It'll be so great to be able to say, not only do we build this church, we built another one there. We looked at the finances and we realized that we just didn't have the money to do it last year. But I couldn't shake this idea that God had told me to do this. If I remember calling the girl who was in charge of the whole program and saying, you know, I don't think we can do this. And after hanging up on the phone, I just knew in my heart that, that I wasn't trusting God. I had a hard time sleeping. I kept thinking about it. And I was like, God, how can we do this? And then I had this crazy idea, which didn't really make any sense at all. But I thought, God, I just believe you're in this. So I met with a, a girl who attends Connect. She's a, a businesswoman in the community, loves Jesus, loves missions. I said, I can't afford to build this church, but I can afford, we have the money in our missions account to send you and three or four of your colleagues to Ecuador to see the work of Compassion. Would you be interested in going? But I'll tell you, there's a catch. The reason I want to pay for you all to go is because when you get back, I want you and your colleagues to pay for an entire church to be built. She's like, I'd love to do that. So you're giving one dollar out of every 10 you give, 10 out of every 100 you give, that gets set aside for church plans and emissions work. So if you've given in any offering, you're a part of this story right now. Because that was the money we used to be able to send these girls down to Ecuador. Two days they spent down there, they saw what was going on. It just wrecked their hearts. They were like, we want to do this. It was a huge goal to raise $87,000. But in just five weeks, selling t-shirts, telling people about what they'd seen, they raised $87,000 to build this church. So when we launched last September, we were able to say, this isn't the only church we built this year. We also built one down in Ecuador. Well, this girl got so excited at what they were able to accomplish in such a short period of time that she went to their national event of the organization she works with and she got to speak on the stage in front of thousands of people. So she told the story of what had taken place. Everyone was clapping and cheering. It was such a great story to tell. And she said, I just think we can do another one. She says, I think today here in this arena, we could raise $87,000 to build another church in Colombia. Everyone got excited. Within 24 hours, they'd raised all the funds to build another one. In fact, they got so excited that she said, let's not stop at one. Let's do three more. It was like an episode of Oprah. It was just, come on. And it was a stretch of her faith. But God came through. And within a few weeks, they'd raised all the money. So now four churches and Compassion Children's Centers had been built in Ecuador and Colombia. The final part of that story is that once those churches were built or in the process of being built... 200 children from those communities, each of those communities, so 800 altogether, were now available to be sponsored through the Compassion Program. And this girl, Jessica, she knew that she wanted the people in her organization to play a part in that. So just this last week, we did this live event here on stage. 
It was a, a two-hour event. It, it was only us in the building. Everyone else was just watching online. There were six different countries, 10 different states, all watching that night. We were so excited because we really believed that all 800 children would be sponsored. By the end of the event, I think it was like 350. So we were super excited, but we were a little bit bummed because we'd expected all 800. We went to bed that night. The next morning we woke up. And through the night, more and more people have been talking about the fact that they sponsored a child and telling great stories. By lunchtime the next day, a thousand children had been sponsored through Compassion. (laughs) And you played a part in that. If you've ever given in one of our offerings, you were the seed that grew into this incredible journey and story. And it just amazes me how God works. But what amazes me the most is knowing that a thousand children, a thousand families' lives will never be the same again. And that in itself is a great story. But these are people, these are wonderful families who understand the posture of humility, who understand the position of dependence upon God. So this morning, as we read these words of James as we struggle a little bit with the idea, well, what if he's talking to me? What if I've got caught up in some quarreling, some fighting? Maybe with some brothers or sisters in Christ, maybe with some other people. There's so much divisiveness going on and maybe I've got caught up in some of this stuff and I've lost sight of the bigger picture. God, help me with my posture to have a posture of humility. God, help me with my position to move away from me and towards you. And rather than quarreling and fighting, let's join together on what we can agree on. And that is that our friends and our neighbors and people in our community and people in this world and people in countries in poverty who don't know Jesus desperately need to hear from us. A church that's united, a church that loves one another, a church that is united in the cause of making a difference in our community. That's how we build a church. Let's pray. Father, one of the things I've been so amazed by as I've read through the book of James, this was a series that we chose over a year ago to speak on. We had no idea what the future held. And yet, as I'm reading James every week, preparing for another message to speak on, it's almost like James wrote these words for us today. There could be people sat here this morning in this room or watching online thinking, oh, I know why he's speaking on this because this is going on today. No, this is, this is something that we chose months ago. This is James speaking to us 2,000 years in the future. Such relevant teaching, Lord. Please help us to hear the importance of this message the importance of humbling ourselves and drawing close to you to impact the world in which we live. We can only do this with your help. So Jesus, please help us, I pray. In your name, amen. Amen, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thanks for tuning in online. Uh, We will be back here next Sunday morning. Have a great week.